Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and the all-new Far-Fetched Fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 463. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Tell you what, tell you what's coming to show before I put myself back to bed. Oh, why is every time this year man flu, man? God, I'm sitting here. My eyes are streaming. My nose is blocked. Head's pounding. Oh, I just want to get <laughs> blanket wrap round and watch some seventy sci-fi films on the telly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put on Silent Running, I think, as well. That'll keep us in a bit of some, some chicken soup. <laughs> I tell you what's coming into this show. We have one story. It is by Neil Asher, the Strood. It originally appeared in Asimov's. I'll jump straight into it there because, like I say, I'm just going straight to bed. Neil Asher was born in Billericay, Essex, and divides his time between here and Crete. Well done there, Neil. Writing pairs. His previous full-length novels are, and Neil's got loads out there, Gridlinked, The Skinner, Line of Polity, Cowl, Brass Man. His owner series includes The Departure, Zero Point, and Jupiter War. Dark Intelligence is a new start of a new series in the Polity universe. Now, this story is narrated by Al Barkley. Al Barkley has worked extensively over 15 years, most notably playing James McAvoy and Michael Sheen, alongside, should I say, James McAvoy and Michael Sheen in Stephen Fry's Bright Young Things, and with David Thewlis in Luke Besson's The Lady. He will be in the West End at the Arts Theatre this December, playing Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. He once drank two bottles of gin with Peter O'Toole and danced the night away in Camden with Amy Winehouse. That's a great bio. I still love reading it. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present... Strood 
by Neil Asher, read by Al Barclay. Like a Greek harp standing four metres tall and three wide, its centre-curtain body rippling in some unseen wind, the strood shimmered across the heathland, tendrils groping for me, their stinging pods shiny and bloated. Its voice was the sound of some bedlam ghost in a big empty house, muttering, then bellowing guttural nonsense. Almost instinctively, I ran towards the nearest pathoon, the monster close behind me. The pathoon's curial matrix reacted with a nacreous flash, displacing us both into a holding cell. I was burnt, red skin visible through holes in my shirt, but whether that injury was from the strood or the pathoon I don't know. The strood, its own curial matrix cut by that of the pathoons, lay nearby like a pile of bloody seaweed. I stared about myself at the ten-by-ten ten box with its floor littered with stones, bones and pieces of carapace. I really wanted to cry. Love, eat you, eat you, pain. It could have been another of those damn translator problems. The gilst slapped onto the base of my skull and growing its spines into my brain with agonising precision made the latest Pentian synaptic look like an abacus with most of its beads missing. Unfortunately, with us humans, the gilst is a lot brighter than its host. Mine initially loaded all English on the assumption that I knew the whole of that language, and translating something from, say, a pathoon produced stuff from all sorts of obscure vocabularies, scientific, philosophic, sociological, political, all of them. What had that dyspeptic newt with its five ruby eyes and exterior mobile intestine said to me shortly after my arrival? Translocate 15 degrees subaxial to hemispherical concrescence of polycarbon interface. I'd asked where the orientating machine was, and it could have pointed to the lump on the nearby wall and said, over there. After 46 hours in the space station, I was managing by the feedback techniques that load into your mind like an instruction manual the moment the spines begin to dig in, to limit the gilst's vocabulary to my feeble one, and I thought I'd got a handle on it until my encounter with the strood. I'd even managed to stop it translating what the occasional patronising mugul would ask me every time I stopped to gape at some extraordinary sight as, Is one's discombobulation requiring pellucidity? I knew the words, but couldn't shake the feeling that either the translator or the mugal was taking a piss. All not too good, when really I had no time to spare for being lost on a station. I wanted to see so much before I died. The odds of survival before the Pathoon lander set down on the Antarctic had been one in ten surviving for more than five years. My lung cancer lodged in both lungs considerably reduced those odds for me. By the time Pathoon technology started filtering out, my cancer had metastized, sending out scouts to inspect other real estate in my body. And when I finally began to receive any benefits of that technology, my cancer had established a burgeoning population in my liver and colonies in other places too numerous to mention. We cannot help you, the Mugal doctor told me, as it floated a metre off the ground in a Pathoon hospital on the Isle of Wight. Hospitals like this one were springing up all over the earth, like Medicine Sans Frontier establishments in some third-world backwater, and they were mostly run by Mugals meticulously explaining to our witch doctors where they were going wrong. To the more worshipful of the population, the name Mugal was wrong for alien angels like translucent mantis rays. But the contraction of Mucus Gull that became their name is more apposite for the majority, 
and their patronising attitude comes hard from something that looks like a floating sheet of veined snot with two beaks, black button eyes and a transparent nematode body smelling of burning bacon. Pardon? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. They were miracle workers who had crossed mind-numbing distances to come here to employ their magical technologies. This Mughal explained it to me in perfect English without a translator. It, and others like it, had managed to create those nanofactories that sat in the liver pumping out DNA repair nanomachines. Now this was okay if you got your nectar before your DNA was damaged. It meant eternal youth, so long as you avoided stepping in front of a truck. But for me there was just too much damage already, so my nectar couldn't distinguish patient from disease. But you will be able to cure me. I still couldn't quite take it in. No, a flat reply. And with that I began to understand, began to put together facts I had thus far chosen to ignore. People were still dying in huge numbers all across Earth, and the alien doctors had to prioritise. In Britain, their main targets were the wonderful bugs tenderly nurtured by our national health system to be resistant to just about every antibiotic going. In fact, the Mughals had some problems getting people into their hospitals in the British Isles, because over the last decade, hospitals have become more dangerous to the sick than anywhere else. Go in to have an ingrown toenail removed, MRI say, or a variant later, and you're down the road in a hermetically sealed plastic coffin. However, most alien resources were going into the same countries as Frontier went to battle a daily death rate numbered in tens of thousands from new air-transmitted HIVs, rampant Ebola, and that new tuberculosis that can eat your lungs in about four days. And I don't know if they're winning. Please, please, you've got to help me. No good. I knew the statistics, and like so many had been an avid student of all things alien ever since their arrival. Even stopping to talk to me as its curial matrix wafted it from research ward to ward, the Mughal might be sacrificing other lives. Resources, again. They had, down to an art, what our own crippled health service had not been able to apply, in fact, without outcry. If three people have a terminal disease and you have the resources to save only two of them, that's what you do. You don't fudge it in an attempt to save them all. This Mughal, applying all its skill and available technologies, could certainly save me. It could take my body apart and rebuild it, cell by cell if necessary. But meanwhile, ten, twenty, a thousand other people with less serious, but no less terminal conditions, would die. Here is your ticket, it said, and something spat out of its curial matrix to land on my bed as it wafted away. I stared down at the yellow ten-centimetre disc, Thousands of these had been issued, and governments had tried to control who, to, and why. Matt had not a damn to any of the aliens. They gave them to those they considered fit, and only the people they were intended for could use them to travel off-world. I guess it was my consolation prize. A Mughal autosurgeon implanted a cybernetic assister frame. This enabled me to get out of bed and head for the shuttle platform moored off the Kent coast. There wasn't any pain at first as the surgeon had used a nerve block that took its time to wear off, but I felt about as together as rotten lace. As that did wear off, I went back onto my inhalers and patches where the bone cancer was worst, and a cornucopia of pills. On the shuttle, which basically looked like a train carriage, I attempted to concentrate on some of the alien identification charts I'd loaded onto my note screen, but the nagging pain and perpetual weariness made it difficult for me to concentrate. There was an odd mix of people around me, as you'll find on any aircraft. Some woman with a baby in a papoose, 
couple of suited heavies who could have been a government, mafia or stockbrokers, and others. Just ahead of me was a group of two women and three men who, with plummy voices and scruffy, bordering on punk clothing, that upper-middle-class lefty look favoured by most students, had to be the BBC documentary team I'd heard about. This was confirmed to me when one of the men removed a prominently labelled vidcam to film the non-human passengers. These were two mugals and a pathoon, the latter a creature like a two-metre woodlouse, front section folded upright, with a massively complex head capable of revolving 360, and a flat back onto which a second row of multiple limbs folded. As far as tool-using went, nature had provided pathoons with a work surface, clamping hands with the strength of a hydraulic vice, and other hands with digits' finest hairs. The guy with the bid cam lowered it after a while and turned to look around. Then he focused on me. Hi, I'm Nigel. He held out a hand which I reluctantly shook. What are you up for? I considered telling him to mind his own business, but then I thought I could do with all the help I could get. I'm going to the system base to die. Within seconds, Nigel had his vidcam in my face and one of his companions, Julia, had exchanged places with the passenger in the seat adjacent to me and was pumping me with ersatz sincerity about how it felt to be dying, then attempting to stir some shit about the Mugals being unable to treat me on Earth. The interview lasted nearly an hour and I knew they would cut and shape it to say whatever they wanted it to say. When it was over, I returned my attention to the Pathoon, who I was sure had turned its head slightly to watch and listen in, though why I couldn't imagine. Perhaps it was interested in the primitive equipment the crew used. Apparently one of these HG heavy gravity creatures, whilst being shown around Silicon Valley, accidentally rested its full weight on someone's laptop computer. Think about dropping a barbell on a matchbox and you get the idea. Then without tools, repaired it in under an hour. And, as if that wasn't miraculous enough, the computer's owner then discovered its hard disk storage had risen from 400 gigabytes to 4 terabytes. I would have said the story was apocryphal, but the laptop is now in the Smithsonian. The shuttle docked at Eulogy Station, and the Pathoon disembarked first, which is just the way it is. Equality is okay, all things being equal. Reality is that they've been knocking around the galaxy for half a million years. Bethunes are as far in advance of the other aliens as we are in advance of jellyfish, which makes you wonder where humans come on their scale. As the alien went past me heading for the door, I felt the slight air shift caused by its curial matrix, that technology enabling other aliens like Mugals, creatures whose home environment is an interstellar gas cloud not far above absolute zero, to live on the surface of Earth and easily manipulate their surroundings. Call it a force field, but it's much more than that. Another story about Pathoons demonstrates some of what they can do with their curial matrices. All sorts of religious, fanatic, lunatic idiot groups immediately, of course, considered superior aliens the cause of their woes and valid targets, so it was only a week into the first alien walkabout that the first suicide bomber tried to take out a Pathoon amid a crowd. He detonated his device, but an invisible cylinder enclosed him and the plastique slow burned. Not a pretty sight. Other assassination attempts met with various suitable responses, the sharpshooter with his scoped rifle got the bullet he fired back through the scope and into his head. The bomber in Spain just disappeared along with his car, only to reappear still behind the wheel, travelling at Mach 4 down on top of the farmhouse his fellow Basque terrorists had made their base. Thereafter, attempts started to drop off, not because of any reduction in terrorist lunacy, but because of a huge increase in security when a Barlek, 
those floating LGAs that look like great big apple cores, offhandedly mentioned what incredible restraint the Pathoons, beings capable of translocating planet Earth into its own sun, were showing. From Eulogy Station it was then, in alien and my own terms, just a short step to the system base. The gate was just a big ring in one of the plazas of Eulogy and you just stepped through it and you were there. The base, a giant stack of different sized disks 940 kilometres from top to bottom, orbited Jupiter. After translocating from some system 80 light years away to our Earth cloud, it had travelled to here at half the speed of light whilst the contact ships headed to Earth. Apparently we had been ripe for contact, bright enough to understand what was happening, but stupid enough for our civilization not to end up imploding when confronted by such omnipotence. In the system base I began to find my way around, guided by an orientation download to my note screen, and it was only then that I began to notice strudes everywhere. I had only ever seen pictures before, and as far as I knew none had ever been on Earth. But why were there so many thousands here, now? Then, of course, I allowed myself a hollow laugh. What the hell did it matter to me? Still, I asked Julia and Nigel when I ran into them again. According to our research, they're pretty low on a species scale and only spacefaring because of Pathoon intervention. Julia studied her note screen, uncomfortable being the interviewee. Nigel was leaning over the rail behind her, filming down an immense metallic slope on which large limpet-like creatures clung, sleeping in their thousands, strudes in their somnolent form. Julia continued... Some of the other races regard Strudes as Pathoon pets, but then we're not regarded much higher by many of them. But why so many thousands here? I asked. Angrily, she gestured at the slope. I've asked, and every time I've been told to go and ask the Pathoons, they ignore us, you know, far too busy about their important tasks. I resisted the impulse to point out that creatures capable of crossing the galaxy perhaps didn't rank the endless creation of media pap very high. I succumbed then to one more brief interview before managing to slip away and then, losing my way to my designated hotel, ended up in one of the parks, aware that a strood was following me. Sitting in the holding cell, I eyed the monster and hoped its curial matrix wouldn't start up again, as in here I had nowhere to run, and being the contacted species, no curial matrix of my own. The environment of a system station is that of the system species, us. So we didn't need the Matrix for survival. And anyway, you don't give the kiddies sharp objects right away. I was beginning to wonder if maybe running at that Pathoon had been such a bright idea when I was abruptly translocated again and found myself stumbling into the lobby of an apparently normal-looking hotel. I did a double-take, then turned around and walked out through the revolving doors and looked around. Yep. An apparently normal city street, but for the aliens on the road and in the air, and but for Jupiter in the sky. This was the area I'd been trying to find before my confrontation with the Strood, the human section, a nice base for us, so we wouldn't get too confused or frightened. I went back into the hotel, limping a bit now despite the assister frame and wheezing because I'd lost my inhaler and the patches and the pills were beginning to wear off. David Hall, I said at the front desk. I have a reservation. The automaton dipped its polished chrome ant's head and eyed my damaged clothing. Then it checked its screen, and after a moment it handed or rather clawed over a keycard. I headed for the elevator and soon found myself in the kind of room I'd never been able to afford on Earth, my luggage already stacked beside my bed and a welcome pack on a nearby table. 
I opened the half-bottle of champagne and began chugging it down as I walked out onto the balcony. Now what? Prior to my brief exchange with the Mugal doctor, I'd been told my life expectancy was about four weeks, but that... I'm sure the aliens will be able to do something. Well, they had. The drugs and the assister frame enabled me to actually move about and take some pleasure in my remaining existence. The time limit, unfortunately, had not changed. So... I would see as much of this miraculous place as possible, but I'd avoid that damned park. I thought then about what had happened. The park was fifteen kilometres across, with earthly meadows and forests of cycads like purple pineapples tall as trees. There were aliens everywhere, a lot of them strewed, and one which I was sure had been following me before freezing and standing like a monument in a field of daisies started drifting towards me. I stepped politely aside, but it followed me and started making strange moaning sounds. I got scared then, but controlled myself and stood still when it reached one of its tendrils out to me. Maybe it was just saying hello. The stinging cells clacked like maracas, and my arm felt as if someone had whipped it before turning numb as a brick. The monster started shaking then, as if it had got all excited. Eat you! Damned thing! I don't mind being the primitive poor relation, but not the main course. I turned round and went back to my room, opened my suitcase, found my spare inhaler and patches and headed for the bathroom. An hour later I was clean, and the pain in body had receded to a distant ache. I attempted to drive further away with the contents of the minibar. I slept for the usual three hours, woke feeling sick, out of breath and once again in pain. A few pulls from one inhaler opened up my lungs and the other inhaler took away the feeling that someone was sandpapering the inside of my chest. Then more pills gave me a further two hours' sleep, and that, I knew, was my lot. I dressed, buttoning up my shirt while standing on a balcony watching the street. No day or night here, just the changing face of Jupiter in an orange-blue sky. Standing there, gazing at the orb, I decided I must have got it all wrong somehow. The aliens had only ever killed humans in self-defence, so somehow there had been a misunderstanding. Maybe with the strewed being Pathoon pets, what had happened had been no more than someone being snapped at by a terrier in a park. I truly believed this, but that didn't stop me suddenly feeling very scared when I heard that same bedlam ghost muttering and bellowing along below. I stared down and saw the strewed. It had to be the same one, rippling across the street and pausing there. I was sure it was looking up at me, though it had no eyes. The strewed was still waiting, as I peered out of the hotel lobby. For a second I wished I'd had a gun or some other weapon to hand, but that would only have made me feel better not be any safer. I went back inside and walked up to the automaton behind the hotel desk. Without any ado, I said, I was translocated here from a holding cell to which I was translocated after running straight into a Pathoon's personal space. Yes, it replied. This happened because I was running away from a strood that wants to eat me. Yes, it replied. Who must I inform about this assault? If your attack upon the Pathoon had been deliberate, you would not have been released from the holding cell. It buzzed at me. I'm talking about the Strood's assault on me. Glancing aside, I saw that the creature was now looming outside the revolving doors. They were probably all that was preventing it entering the hotel. I could hear it moaning. Strood, do not attack other creatures. It stung me. Yes, it wants to eat me. Yes. It said, eat you, eat you, I said, before I realised 
what the automaton had just said. Yes, I squeaked. Not enough to feed Strude here, the automaton told me, though Earth will be a good feeding ground for them. I thought of the thousands of these creatures I had seen here. No, I just didn't believe this. My skin began to crawl as I heard the revolving doors turning, all of them. Please, summon help, I said. None is required. The insectile head swung down towards the strood. Though you are making it ill, you know. Right then I think my adrenaline ran down because suddenly I was hurting more than usual. I turned with my back against the desk to see the strood coming towards me across the lobby. It seemed somehow ragged to me, disreputable, tatty. The pictures of these I'd seen showed larger and more glittering creatures. What do you want with me? Eat, need, eat, were the only words I could discern from the muttering bellow. I pushed away from the desk and set out in a stumbling run for the lift. No way I was going to be able to manage the stairs. I hit the button just as the strood surged after me. Yeah, great, and how did he die? Waiting for a lift. It reached me just as the doors opened behind. One of its stinging tendrils caught me across the chest, knocking me back into the lift. This seemed to confuse the creature, and it held back long enough for the doors to draw across. My chest grew numb and breathing difficult as I stabbed buttons, then the lift lurched into progress and I collapsed to the floor. Technical Acquisitions was a huge disc-shaped building like the bridge of the Starship Enterprise mounted on top of a squat skyscraper. Nigel kept Julia, Lincoln and myself constantly in camera while Pierce kept panning across and up and down getting as much of our surroundings as possible. I'd learnt that quantity was what they were aiming for or the artwork was carried out on a computer afterwards. Pierce, an Asian woman with rings through her lips connected by a chain to rings through her ear and a blockish stud through her tongue, was the one who suggested it, and Julia immediately loved the idea. I was just glad, after Julia and Nigel dragged me out of the lift of the roof taxi to get me out of the hotel without my having to go through the lobby. Of course, none of them took seriously my story about Strude's wanting to eat people. They were just excited about the chance of some real in-your-face documentary-making. Dawson's got a direct line to the head honchos here in the system station, Lincoln explained to me. For head honchos read Pathoons, who after their initial show and tell on Earth took no interest in all the consequent political furore. They were physicists, engineers, biologists, and pursued their own interests to the exclusion of all else. It drove human politicians nuts that the ones who had the power to convert Earth into a swiftly dispersing smoke cloud might spend hours watching a slug devouring a cabbage leaf but have no time to spare to discuss issues with the President or Prime Minister. Human scientists, though, were a different matter, for Pathoons definitely lent towards didacticism. I guess it all comes down to the fact that modern politicians don't really change very much and that the inventor of the vacuum cleaner changed more people's lives than any number of Thatchers or Blairs. Dawson was the chief of the team of human scientists aboard the system base, learning at the numerous feet of the Pathoons. We get to him and we should be able to get a statement from one of the Pathoons. He's their blue-eyed boy and they let him get up to all sorts of stuff, Lincoln continued. According to our researchers, he's even allowed access to Curial Matrix tech. In the lobby of the building, Lincoln schmoozed the insect receptionist with his spiel about the documentary he was doing for the Einstein channel, then spoke to a bearded individual on a large phone screen. I recognised Dawson right away because my viewing had always lent towards that channel Lincoln and Julia had denigrated on their way here. He was a short, plump individual with a big grey beard, grey hair and very odd-looking orangish eyes. 
He's the kind of physicist who pisses off many of his fellows by being better at pure research than they and being able to turn his research to practical and profitable ends. Whilst many of them had walked away from CERN with wonderfully obscure papers to their names, he'd walked away with the same and a very real contribution to make to quantum computing. I didn't hear the conversation, but I was interested to see Dawson gazing past Lincoln's shoulder directly at me before giving the go-ahead for us to come up. How to describe the inside of the disk? There were benches, computers and big plasma screens, macrotech that looked right out of CERN. People walking, talking, waving light pens. People gutting alien technology, scanning circuit boards under electron microscopes, running mass spectrometer tests on fragments of exotic metal, everything. On Earth, there was a lot of alien technology knocking about, and a lot of it turned to smoking goo the moment anyone tried to open it up. It's not that they didn't want us to learn, it's just that they don't want us to depopulate the planet in the process. Here, though, things were different. Under direct Pathoon supervision, the scientists were having a great time. Lincoln and Julia began by asking Dawson for an overview on everything that he and his people were working on. My interest was held for a while as he described materials light as polystyrene and tough as steel, a microtome capable of slicing diamonds, and nanotech self-repairing computer chips. But after a while I began to feel really sick, and without my assister frame I'd have been on the floor. Finally he was standing before pillars with hooked over tops, gesturing at something subliminal between them. When I realised he was talking about curial matrices my interest perked up, but it was then that Lincoln and Julia went in for the kill. So obviously the Pathoons trust you implicitly or are treated like a strood, asked Julia. I stared at the subliminal flicker and threw it to the other side of the room where it seemed like a workbench was sneaking away while no one was watching until I realised I was seeing a Pathoon sauntering across all sorts of equipment on its back. Strood, Dawson asked. Yes, they're pets, interjected Lincoln. Ones whose particularly carnivorous tastes the Pathoons seem to be pandering to. I tracked the Pathoon past the pillars to a big equipment lift, took a couple of pulls on one of my inhalers, not sure which one, but it seemed to help. I thought I was imagining the bedlam moaning. Everything seemed to be getting a little fuzzy around the edges. Pets, said Dawson, staring at Lincoln as if he'd just discovered a heretofore undiscovered variety of idiot. But then I suppose it's all right, said Julia. If the kind of people fed to them are going to die anyway. Dawson shook his head, then said, I was curious to see what your angle would be. That's why I let you come up. Now he turned to me. Running into a Pathan's curial matrix wasn't the best idea. It reacted to you rather than the strood. It came up on the equipment lift, shimmering and flowing out before the observing Pathoon. Now, now, Fido. Came round the room towards me. There were benches to my left, so the quickest escape route for me was ahead and left the normal lifts. I hardly comprehended what Dawson was saying. You see, it's all right to be brave and sensible when you're whole and nothing hurts, but when you live with pain shadowing your every step and the big guy with the scythe just around the corner, your perspective changes. It bonded and you broke away, he said. Didn't you study your orientation? Can't you see it's in love? I ran and slammed straight into an invisible web between the two pillars, a curial matrix Dawson had been studying. Energies shorted in through my assister frame, and something almost alive connected to my gilston into my brain. Exoskeletal energy, 
huge frames of reference, translocation, reality displayed as formulae, and me with a pencil and rubber. There's no adequate description. Panicked, I just saw where I didn't want to be and strove to put myself somewhere else. The huge system base opened around me, up and down in lines and surfaces and intersection points. Twisting them into a new pattern, I put myself on the roof of the world. My curial retained air around me, retained heat, but did not defend me from harsh and beautiful reality. It in fact amplified perception. Standing on a steel plane, I saw that Jupiter was truly vast but finite, and that through vacuum the stars did not waver and that there was no way to deny the depths they'd burnt in. I gasped, twisted to a new pattern, found myself tumbling through a massive swarm of mugals, curials reacting all around me and hurling me out. It's in love. Something snatched me down and sprawled on an icy platform. I observed a bathoon, linked in ways I couldn't quite comprehend to vast machines rearing around me to forge energies of creation. The curiol gave me a glimpse of what it meant to have been in technical civilization for more than half a million years. Then I understood about huge restraint and amusement. The Pathoon did something then. The mirrors touched shaking blocks of logic into order, and something went click in my head. Eat you. Eat you. Of course everything I'd been told was the truth. No translator problem, just an existential one. What need did Pathuns have for lies? I folded away from the platform and stumbled out from the other side of the pillars, shedding the curial behind me. Momentarily, doubt nearly had me stepping back into the matrix as the strood flowed round and reared up before me, a raggedy and bloody curtain. Eat, I said. The strood surged forward, stinging cells clacking. The pain was mercifully brief as the creature engulfed me and a black tide swamped me to the sound of Julia shouting, Are you getting this? Are you getting this? Three days passed, I think. Then I woke in a field of daisies. I was about six kilos lighter, which was unsurprising. One of those kilos was pieces of the cybernetic assister frame scattered in the grass all around me. Nearby the strood stood tall and glittering in artificial sunlight, grown strong on the cancer it had first fallen in love with, then eaten out of my body, as was its nature. It's like a pilot fish, eating the parasites of bigger fish. That kind of existence. Mutualism. I'd been sent as a kind of test case by the Mugulls, who were struggling with human sickness, and after me, the go-ahead was given. The strood are now flocking, in their thousands to earth, come to dine on our diseases. That was Strood by Neil Asher, read by Al Barclay. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There you go. Don't forget. Copyright is Neil Asher. Neil, thank you so much, sir. It's, a, it's an honour. Sorry, I'm feeling a little bit kind of grotty and yuck to, to get your story out there. But we keep on going. Thank you so much. And Al, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Big heads up. Good luck. And you might be actually doing this now because you're in December there. So you're probably playing Scrooge at this moment. Yes, it's playing at the, the West End at the, the Arts Theatre in London. So that is today's show, short and sweet. <coughs> Excuse me. Do help her on Patreon. There you go. There's a, I can still manage to say that though, can't I? Eh? That can't be that bad. <laughs> I can still eat chocolate and ask for Patreon donations. So I'll catch you next week. Until then, just like to say, good night from me. survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website www.districtofwonders.com Thank you for listening.